Open your Bibles to Genesis 37, God's Word to us this morning. And for a little pre-sermon, instead of leading a song, I'm just going to share some things with you. <clears throat> I much appreciated the, song, the service thus far this morning. So this last song we sang, yeah, I'm going to read a verse here. I just thought everything just nicely fit together with what I feel I needed to share this morning. Verse 2 of 265 in this purple book. It reads like this. Sometimes the sky is darkened and stormy clouds appear, but still beyond the shadows, the light is bright and clear. The God of truth has spoken. His word will never fail. Now, I think that's good. I think that's precious. That God don't change and that... Um, his word is going to stand the test of time. Now, how many of you have a passion here this morning? Are we passionate about something this morning? We passionate about something this morning? We passionate about the things of God? You know, the things that we're involved in. It's hot in here, by the way. Um, are we passionate about the things of God? Are we passionate about things of life, things we involved in, things we do, things we say? You know, some people say when you speak, you're passionate about what you say. Well, it's because I'm passionate about the things of God and what He has to tell us, what He's going to do. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I, um, in, in my family with my youngest son, we get on YouTube, and I don't know why we do this, but somehow we always end up watching airplanes and things that go wrong and they crash and, and they try to figure out whys and the wherefores and all these types of things. Why these things happen? And um, so one of the last ones we, uh, last ones we um, looked at, it took four years and they spent millions and millions of dollars to try to figure out why this, um, this uh, DC-10 or whatever it was, it crashed to the ground out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It was going from Brazil to um, London or Paris, somewhere in Europe. It was an 11-hour flight, and if you ever rode on an 11-hour flight, it's a long ways. And somehow, um, there was three pilots on this plane, and uh, the, 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 the seasoned pilot, he had thousands of hours behind his name and uh, had lots of experience, and he, had, he was flying with a, a younger pilot, only had, he didn't have a, in, in comparison, he had very few hours behind his, under his name, so to speak. And in a plane, I didn't know this before, but in a plane, there is no chalk. I'm going to just draw the uh, plane, uh, the front, you know, we got the nose going here, and underneath the plane, this is kind of a crude drawing. The pilot sits up here, but under here somewhere, there's a thing that looks like this, okay? And this little sensor, this little sensor here detects a lot of things. And this little sensor got frost-coated one day, or in the, when we were, thank you. And uh, this thing had, had frost on it. And this plane and this little sensor messed up his gauges, his, 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 his instruments. And so this inexperienced pilot, so to speak, what he does, he reaches down on his joystick and he pulls down because he lost all sense of his instruments gauging. He's like, wow, you know, what's going on? So instead, 
Instead of, he should have just kept on doing what he was doing. So he pulls back on a joystick. Now this plane all of a sudden leers to the top. And this was a night flight, by the way. This plane goes to the top, sky high. It goes so high, he, I'm going to call it spin out. That's not the word they use. They use it um, stalls. He went, so now he's over 40 some thousand feet. He's stalled out. And now this plane is losing traction. I'm going to use farmer terms, okay, instead of aircraft terms. Because I can understand that a little bit better on farmer terms. This plane spins out. This plane starts nosediving. They have four minutes till this plane crashes. And so this highly experienced pilot, I didn't know this, but in this plane, they have a cubbyhole where he decided he's going to take a few Z's. And so they finally woke him up. They got him out and like what? And he was frankly trying to figure out why this plane is losing ground so fast. They were headed straight for the water. And these pilots all knew we are doomed. And um, they, um, as he was trying to figure out what is wrong, and then all of a sudden, this little sensor probe defrosted, now the gauges came back on. And the, the pilot was not, he said, I can't trust these gauges. Okay? The gauges are right. And so this pilot was frankly trying, this experienced pilot was like, what is wrong with this thing? And then he noticed 2,000 feet above the Atlantic Ocean, he, re he saw that this young pilot was still pulling, desperately pulling back on the joystick to get this nose up in the air. But it was too late. You see, many times in a Christian life, we're passionate about the wrong things. You see what I'm saying? And the gauges, this sensor probe, so to speak, this gauge is the Word of God in our lives. You see what I'm saying? We become passionate, but it's about the wrong things. We need to become passionate about the things that God has written here. And that we can never detour. Just like, a, like, like I had a, a guy who flew, he said, you know, he said, there's many times a pilot, he will look at the gauges, he said, the gauges are messed up, they do not. But you know what? You have to learn to trust the gauges. You know, I've already flown and very... It's like, how in the world, how in the world can these, these pilots know where they're going? I'm looking out the window and it's just like clouds. And this plane is coming down, down, down. I remember one time we flew into California and we were coming down, down, down. I knew there was water there. And it's like, how are we, are we sure we're going to hit the runway? Are we going to make it? You know, we were coming down there and it's just like, it's just clouds. I couldn't see nothing. Nothing. But cloud. And you know what? The pilot had his instruments. And he knew exactly where he needed to be. You know, did you ever see the, 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 the lights on the end of the runway? And you wonder why they're there. They're kind of shining up toward, toward you. You wonder why they're there. Well, those lights change colors. If you're too low, you know what color they are? Anyone want to take a guess? They're red. And if you're dead on... What color are they? Red and white. And sometimes they're green. But red and white, yeah. It's <clears throat> so, but what if he can't see them? He has to strictly go by the gauges that he has, the instrument panel on the plane. Okay, enough said. Let's be passionate about the things that God says. 
Um, one more thing on that note. I was talking to a young man one day, just a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were having a, uh, I was dialoguing with him, and um, I wasn't agreeing with what he was saying. And, uh, and I, told, I finally told him, I says, hey, you know what? I don't care what you believe, but what does God's Word say? I said, that is not what God's Word says. God's Word says this. And I just quoted him Scripture. You know, you know, it don't matter how right it looks, how good it smells. But you know what? If it does not line up with the God's word, it's wrong. And, you know, I have to put myself in line with God and who he is. You know, this funeral I went to, me and my wife flew back to, you know, this man, this pastor friend, he was very instrumental in my, in my Christian walk. You know, I had a lot of struggles. I still do. But, you know, he, he was interested in my spiritual well-being. He considered me as a very close friend, even though he was many years older than I was. And yet, I, I just remember him telling me, you know, Glenn, all these things, all these things in your past, all these things. He said, let's get the vertical relationship right. Let's get that. And then all these other things will probably come into play. Come into place. And you know, that's the way it is. When we get in tune with God, when we get our instrument gauges, all the gauges reading right, when we're in the Word of God and seeing what the Word of God is, we get our lives in tune with God, then everything else, it'll all work out. And you know, I don't have to stress over this and that and another thing. Even though sometimes I worry and I fret, but God says, just trust me, it'll work. Now this morning, our brother, he talked about Joseph. And I thought, you know what, he just needs to keep right on preaching. Because you know what? That's exactly what I'm going to talk about this morning. And so this morning, as I think about Thanksgiving, and so I just, in my sermon t title, I just say, giving thanks in dark times. If there's ever a day we're living in, it is today is dark times. You read in the news, you listen to the news, or whatever, however you get your news, you know, it is just dark times. But aside from what's out there in the world today, what about the church of Jesus Christ today? It, sometimes it is bogged down by many things. I just penciled some things in here. We are living in fearful days. We are living, there are fearful days, days ahead. And, and even in today, we're, there is apostasy in the church. There's anarchy in the world. There's, pa a path, there's apathy in the pew today. You know, these are dark times. That we're living in. And you know, as I go, as I travel and get into these different churches, I can see that. But if we're going to have a church that's alive and well, we need a church that's on fire for God. We need people who are passionate about the things of God. We need people who are, who are interested, who are alarmed at the things that they see in the church of Jesus Christ today. We need young men. We need, we need old men who are willing to rise up. And take the challenge to, to continue to preach against the things and to speak out against the things that are attacking the church. Because the enemy that is out there against the church wants one thing, he is interested in one thing, and that is to take you down. And to shut you up. And to be quiet. And to... But you know what? We cannot shut up. We cannot stop. We need to keep right on preaching the truth of God's Word. However... However harsh it may be found, it may not be politically correct. It may not be this. 
Since when was God interested in how it comes, what he says? You know, if God was interested in being all this political correctness, it is time to get past that. It is just simply, let's just simply say it the way God said it. And, um, you know, if God says it's wrong, then it's wrong. Let's go with that. Let's roll with that. You know, there's a question. We're going to move on here. There's a question that's being asked. It has been asked for many years ago. Turn to Psalm 42, 9. Let's just flip to that, and then we'll move on and see what we can learn from the life of Joseph. I like the story of life of Joseph and, um, and, uh, and the many things that I can learn from him. In Psalm 42, verse 9, and anyway, in this passage, um, there's this question is, where is God in all this trouble? Why does God allow all these things to happen? You know, these are questions that have been asked for a long time. In, verse, in chapter, Psalm 42, verse 9, it says, I will say unto God my rock, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? David is asking, he is asking, Why has God forgotten me? You know, the good news today, God has not forgotten you. God is still keenly interested in you. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49. Let's start here at verse 14. It says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child when she has, has should not have passion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet I will not forget thee. That is God speaking. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, and the walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste, thy destroyers, and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with, with them all. As an ornament, and bind thee, bind them on thee as a bride doeth. I'm just, I'm just say, I'm just going to put this in here. You know, instead of looking at all these troubles and trials, Isaiah is simply saying, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes and look. There is so much more. God has not forgotten you, and He is interested in you in these giving thanks in dark times. So we're going to talk about that. You know, there's a question. Let's go to. Let's read one more here quickly, and then we'll look into um, the life of Moses or the life of Joseph, rather. Let's go to Luke 12, verse six. Luke chapter 12, verse six, and it reads like this. Um, let's back up a little bit. Let's go to um, let's go to five. let's just back up here a verse. But I will but I will forewarn you him you shall fear fear him that hath which which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And then verse six reads like this of Luke twelve it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, 
Him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. That he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And uh, so, let's continue to read. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. And so we'll just stop right there. So, in, in verse um, 6, you know, God takes interest in the birds. And you know, He knows how many hairs are on your head. And so therefore, take comfort that God is interested in your, in your well-being. God is interested, even though sometimes you may feel like you are forgotten by God. God knows who you are. God is interested in you. Now, let's roll back to Genesis. Let's roll back to Genesis chapter, um, let's start in here, about 39. And I'm not going to read the, the, There's these multiple chapters here. Um, and we're going to talk about the life of Joseph and how this all turned out. This is an old, old story that has been repeated many, many times. And um, I'm just going to tell you the story. We're just going to roll through several chapters here. And you all know this story. But this is a very fascinating story to me. Because I feel like I can identify with Joseph of old. And you know, sometimes we as humans, we feel like, what worth do I have? What do I have to bring to the table? And yet Joseph, as he served in, in away from home, you know, he probably had that same feeling. What do I have to bring to the table, so to speak? And yet, um, you will find out, it's already been mentioned, like there was a purpose for all this. And you know, Joseph, you know, you never read where he was bitter, he was angry. And yet he just he just kept taking the hit, so to speak, and how God just blessed him. So let's uh, start here in Genesis chapter 39. And here we find um, Joseph. Um, nope, let's back up another couple chapters here. Let's back up to let's back up to chapter 37. Let's back up two chapters. Let's back up the train here a little bit. And now now here we find uh, Jacob. He's he's. Um, He's dwelling in the land of Canaan, and here we find Joseph. Here we find Jacob, and it says here in verse chapter thirty-seven. It says in verse three. It says now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and made him a coat of many colors. Now I'm just going to put a little plug in here, and I don't detect this in this congregation, but there are people that have in their families favorites that should never happen um, I grew up in a community where there that some of that stuff went on they had however many children they had and you know they had they had their favorite son or their favorite daughter and you know it just causes contention now if you have a herd of cats or herd of dogs or whatever you call them, a pack of them or whatever you want to call them, you have this favorite one, that's okay. I'm sure the dogs don't care. Maybe they do. I don't know. But you know what? They don't have, they don't have an emotional system like what we have. And you know what? If they did, I'd probably be one I wouldn't care. I mean, they're just a dog and a cat. We have two cats, and you know, if they don't line up the way I think they need to line up, well, we'll um, help them out. But here we find this man, 
And so in verse 4, it says like this. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. And it says they could not speak peacefully unto him. That word peacefully means they could not speak friendly to him. They hated him. They did not like him because they seen dad. He favors him. He gave him a coat of many colors. They, they hated him. And then Joseph, in verse 5, he goes, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and it was told his brothers, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto him, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. He goes on and, and, and explains this dream and how this dream and these, these sheaves and the sun and the moon are going to bow down to him. And the Bible says they hated him even yet the more. You know, that's prophetic what he was trying to tell them. And as you, as we tell this story, you will find out it's exactly what happened. And Joseph, he was sent ahead. Let's, let's move on. In verse 10, it was, it was so bad that even the dad got fired up. He, it says that in verse 10, it says like this. It says, and he told it to his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brothers envied him. But, he, but then in verse 11 it says, But his father observed the saying. That word observe says, means this, to take notice of. He took notice of it, that what he was trying to say. In verse 18, By this time these brothers hated him, so much, they had no time for him. They wanted to do one thing, and that was just kill him. And um, so one day, his father said, you know, I need to, you to go to check on, on your brothers and where they're at and how they're doing, their welfare, and so, so forth and so on. And he says like this, in verse 13, when, when, when Israel asked him, he said, he said three words. And I'd like to camp out on these three words just a little bit. He said, here am I. You know, Joseph is a type of Christ. And that's maybe why I like this story. He's, and you know, can you imagine as, as up in heaven, as God was looking for the supreme sacrifice, who will go? Who will go? And you know, I don't know how the dialogue went up there. I have no clue. Scripture really don't say. But you think Jesus said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I don't know. I'm just trying to fill in some blanks. I, I just got an imagination. And I like to use it. But Joseph, he just says, here am I. Send me. I'll go. And uh, he said, uh, bring me word again. And so he went out to them to the vale of Hebron. And he came to Shechem. Then he couldn't find them. and said, well, they're over Dothan. <clears throat> and then, then the, it says that in verse 37, it says that his brother saw him a far way off. And it says that he cons they conspired against him to kill him. But Reuben, and you know, those brothers, they did not have enough of, enough of stand up within them and say, you know, this is crazy. We are not doing this. He is our own flesh and blood. We are not going to do this to this brother. This brother is ours. We cannot do this. And Reuben tried hard to, to, um, to deliver him. In 21, it says, Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto him, shed no blood, verse 22, but cast him 
into the pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that we might rid him out of their hands, but deliver him to his father. Reuben was at least trying to, at least to a degree, to try to defend him and stick up for him. And it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brother and he stripped Joseph out of his coat of many colors and that was for him. And they cast him into the pit and there was no water in this pit. And you know, I don't know if 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 Israel if if the if the dad Jacob gave the children those those sent him out there in the wilderness with a lunch, but can you imagine if they had this lunch and they were all up there enjoying their 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 sandwiches or whatever their lunch was, and here Joseph they he was in a pit and he was crying, let me go, get me out of here, and the brothers were just enjoying their their Coca Cola and their sandwiches. He was in a pit all by himself, left alone to die. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. And then um, I think Reuben, he had, he had, he had um, ideas of maybe getting him out later. But you know what? That didn't happen. Judah said, what is the prophet who slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come. And here comes this band of Ishmaelites, the Midianites. Here they were coming. They sold him to the, to the Midianites. And then the Midianites ended up down in verse 36, sold him to Potiphar, into Potiphar's house. And oh, what a fiasco. You know, but if the, the Bible says that God's hand was continually upon him. God's hand, God blessed him whatever his hand put to do. And young men and young ladies here this morning, I'm talking to you. You know, as Joseph found himself in Potiphar's house and how Potiphar's wife continually ragged on him and wanted him to commit immoral deed with her. And he says, how can I do this evil thing? And he, she even grabbed him and he fled, leaving his garment there. And then she fabricated this story against him. And can you imagine how Joseph felt as he, he said, what next? My brothers want to kill me. I've been sold twice. And now they want to kill me. And now, and now this lady is fabricating this story against me. And things didn't go well for him. Now he was in prison. The, the, the Potiphar threw him, in the, threw him into prison. Now what next? What is going to happen to him next? You know what he finds himself? He finds himself in prison. I don't know how long he was there. But in that prison, we find that uh, there's the butler and the chief baker, he, and they had dreams. And there, Joseph, even in that prison, God was with him. And you know, I think Joseph was mindful of who God was and the God ever watchful eye was watching over him. And you know, that is one thing that we can take with us. God's ever watchful eye is watching over us and he is watching every deed we do. Even those people that are in Haiti, those hostages, you know, God is watching. Nothing escapes his eye. And neither was it for Joseph. It says that even down in prison, that, that the hand of God was upon him. Putting this all in my own words. And these these men, they had these dreams. And, you know, the baker was killed. The, ch the chief cupbearer, he was let go. And, um, you know, he continued to serve. Now, all of a sudden, this Pharaoh has a dream. And, you know, he's trying to call up, you know, he's trying to um, get somebody to reveal this dream to him, these dreams. And um, all of a sudden, um, this chief... Um, Cupbearer, he remembered this chief butler says, and yet did not the chief butler he got out and it says verse twenty three of verse forty says the chief butler remembered Joseph, 
did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And now Pharaoh in verse 40, in chapter 41, Pharaoh wakes and he has his dream. He has two dreams and there's much alike. And finally, he, um, this, this, uh, verse 16 and Joseph, um, nope, let's back up here a little bit. And, uh, let me see here. And verse 9, it says, Then the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. And Pharaoh was wroth with the servants and put me in the ward with the captain of the king's house and both me and the chief butler. And we dreamed a dream. He explained this to him. You know, send for this young man. He can tell this dream to us. He can share what these dreams to me. And so then they, they asked for him. They got cleaned up. They put new raiment on. He shaved. He got cleaned up. And he was going to be presented before Pharaoh. And Joseph... And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And then, then Joseph, he tells, he tells this Pharaoh, this high up king, he tells him what these dreams mean. But he also don't tell him just what these dreams mean. He gives advice. See, well, I think that's neat how God works. He not only gives the, the vision, the, the meaning of this vision, but he gives advice what these dreams mean, how he should be. And Joseph tells him, find yourself a man. Um, verse, um, let me see here. In verse 33 of chapter 41, it says, says Now therefore let Pharaoh look. And that word means, that means be cautious, seek out. Look out a, a man, discreet. Sorry, that discreet means cautious and wise. Set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up a fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And then if we read down through the story, Pharaoh says, who is a better person than you yourself? And he went from rags to the second man in command. He said to rags to the second man in command right underneath Pharaoh. And, you know, as this goes on. And Pharaoh in 46 says, and Pharaoh was 30 years old when he stood before the king of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And the seven plenteous years and the, and the earth brought forth handfuls. And you know, Joseph, he kept gathering up. Verse 49 says, And Pharaoh gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until left numbering, for it was without number. And then... Joseph, Pharaoh, he backing up a little bit. Pharaoh gave Joseph his daughters, gave these daughters to him, and out of those, out of that union, became came these two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And I like in verse fifty-two. And the second son was called. He called Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let me ask you this morning: Are you fruitful in the land of your affliction here this morning? In the land that affliction where God has put you, are you being fruitful in that land? Ask yourself this. In verse 53, it says, In the seven years of plenty, and it was in, it was in the land of Egypt, Egypt, and it was ended. Now the famine starts. And as these people came in to, to, to get corn, to get food from Joseph... You know, they come, it said, and, the, and when all the land of Egypt was finished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the, the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he has said unto do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. 
And Joseph, I get this, I get it good. It says, and Joseph opened all the warehouses, the storehouses. And I asked you this morning, I like that. And Joseph opened all the storehouses. What is the storehouses? What key do you have? What storehouses do you have that you have the key to, to a hurting, famished people? Do you have the key that can open the storehouse? Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a prophetic word over somebody. That you have the key to open up the storehouses of the people and that, that, that God has put you in contact with. I like that. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy, to Joseph to buy corn because the famine was so sore in the land. It was very severe. Now in verse four, in chapter 42, now we find Jacob and his boys, they need food. So Jacob sends his boys down there to get corn. And you know what? I am sure that those boys Never recognized Joseph. He probably looked like a good old out-and-out Egyptian. You know, you know, when you live in a country for so long, you start talking like them. You start acting like them. You start dressing like them. Now, let, let me just tell you this. So, <clears throat> I had um, one of my nephews lived in where I grew up. He married a girl out of Canada. You know, I, I noticed when I was up there one time at an ag show, and I talked to him, and I noticed this right away. He starts like, he talks like a Canadian. You see what happens? You see what happens? And the same thing happens to Joseph. You know, Joseph, he looked like an Egyptian. He acted like an Egyptian. And he saw, these, he saw his brothers coming in. And, you know, I wonder what was the reaction that he had. Do you think, you know, here comes these crusty old barkers again. I wonder if they repented of what they did to me. Do you think his emotion, his emotion, his passions came back up? And like all the mistreatment that they gave over the years, do you think he felt like that? I think he did. But you know what? There was also forgiveness. But you know what? He was going to test them to see if they repented of their ways. And it, talked, it says he talked roughly to them at one point in time. <clears throat> And uh, it says, verse 42, chapter, chapter 42, verse 7. It says, when Joseph, And Joseph saw his brethren, he knew them, and made them himself strange to them. He spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And from the bicorn. And Joseph knew his brother, but they knew him not. They knew him not. Let's back up to verse 6. You remember we talked about the dream that Joseph had? He seen the sheaves and the moon and the stars bow down to him. Verse 6, 42. Right here we are. Get it good. And, Joseph, and Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Do you think that, you think that prophetic word came true? Absolutely. And it's not the first time. They will read multiple times, at least three times, where they bowed themselves before him. And you know, you think, I can just see this Egyptian, this, this Israeli Egyptian looking boy. He's crossing it. Yes, sir, man. They're bowing down exactly what I told them. This is exactly what's happening. These guys have no clue that they are bowing down to me, just like I told them years ago. Why? Because God's word is true. God is with Joseph. <clears throat> okay, let's move on here. Let's move on to um, 
42, he's testing them. In 44, he's also testing them. In 43, <clears throat> the family was sore. Joseph was testing his brothers. He was giving them a hard time. And uh, verse 43, it says, And it came to pass, they had eaten up the corn which he had brought out of Egypt. And his father said, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah, he's like, Dad, this is not going to happen. we got to take our younger brother with us. No, you're not. And it was back and forth. We're not going down there. And uh, verse 44, in chapter 44, um, let's see here. Chapter 44, and 40, and chapter... 43, sorry, and Joseph came, in verse 46, it said, Joseph came home and he brought him presents which was from the land, from, was in their hand unto the house, and bowed themselves to him in the earth. Here it is again, they bowed themselves, and he asked them of their father's welfare. He says, is your, is your father well? The old, and the old man of whom you spake, is he yet alive? Joseph, he wanted to know. And you know, he wanted to, he was interested. Is my dad still alive? But these brothers, they didn't know. They didn't know. You would have thought they would start put, lining up all the dots and putting all the dots together, putting all these pieces together, and they would recognize that that Joseph was um, was this was their brother. <clears throat> Thank you. And verse uh, then in chapter forty-four, if you read that story, Joseph or Judah is interceding for his for his uh, for his little brother. And uh, let's go on to 45. And it says, and when Joseph, get this, and when Joseph could not refrain himself before all that stood before him, he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man, no man with him. While Joseph himself, while Joseph made himself known unto his brother, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house a feral herd. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. I like this. I like, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved. Get this. I like this. Oh, nor angry with yourself that you sold me hither, for God did send me. Get this. For God did send me before you to preserve life. And these two years had the famine been in the land. There's five more years left. And you know, he said, he said, God sent me before you to preserve you a prosperity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. You see, there was no anger. There was no ill will. In in in, the, in Joseph, I could just imagine. You know, he says, "You know, I am, I am Joseph. Come near to me. I wanted, to, I wanted to see you. I want to touch you. I'm your brother, who you sold, who you hated, and you did all these things to me. But you know, God. But it's God who sent me for. You know, I have to think it was already mentioned. You know, what about these people in Haiti? You know, maybe God sent them ahead. You know, there's things that happen in our lives, and you know, we sometimes find it very hard to be thankful for." That happened, and we don't see the whole picture. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're just about out of time. And you know, there's things that happen that we wonder why. We don't. We need to quit asking why. We need to start like asking who. You know, it's God that sometimes orchestrates our lives. He sends things into our lives. And you know, it's hard sometimes, very difficult to be thankful for the hard things in life that God sends our way. But you know, sometimes God sends. Hard things in our life for a specific purpose that we can understand 
people. And God has a ministry for each one of you. And you know, it's important that you use this ministry to help build the kingdom. Whatever that is. Whatever gift God has given you. That you would use this this gifting that God has given you. You would use these these things that are hard experiences in your life to, to reach out, to minister to people. It don't have to be in front of a church. It don't have to be in a big crowd. It may be just a one-to-one, just reaching out, loving people. and Because um, I know what that feels like. You know, there's struggling people all around. Our pews many times are filled with people who have deep hurts. And sometimes it's, people do not understand. I just was on a phone call with a guy uh, just the, uh, this past week. And he says, you know, he said he was going through a, a very difficult time in his life. And how he, how this pastor of this one church that was trying to help through the situation, he just laughed and scoffed at him. I said, whoa, how's that going to heal a situation? He says, you know, he says, you know, he said, I just have no time for that. You know, I almost sense this, this little bit of like, mm, you know. But those are some things that he is going to have to work through. He's going to have to forget and and forgive and forget and move on with things. You know, and so when these things happen to you, I'm talking from experience. When these things happen to you, it makes you very kind-hearted and very, very, um, to be able to understand and to somehow feel for the situation. I know what that's like. When people try to understand where you're coming from. And I tell people, I, I find it very difficult. I find it, sometimes I find it very, I can't, I, I cannot identify with you. I will try. I will try to identify with you and your pain that you're going through. Here we are. I don't know how we got sidetracked. But anyway, in verse, um, let's go to chapter 49. <clears throat> chapter 49. In verse... One, and Joseph called his sons, his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you which, which befall you in the last days. And then you, each one, he goes down through each one of his sons. And how would, you like, how would you like to be Reuben? The very first one. In verse 4 it says, Unstable is water. How would you like that over you? But anyway, let's go down to verse, verse 22. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough, by a water whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow, his bow abode in strength and the arm of his hands are made strong by the hands of Almighty God. What a blessing. What a, what a, what a blessing over him. How would you like that? And you know, if we read clear down to the end of the chapter, it says, basically, when Jacob made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost. He died. Those were his last words. You know, how many times do we look for the last words of an individual? Let's go to the last chapter of Genesis. And this is what I think is beautiful. Let's start. Let's launch in here at verse 15. This is when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. And they said, Joseph will prevent or hate us and will certainly acquit to all the evil which he had, we had done unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command thee before he died saying, And so shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, and trust us of thy brother and their sin. 
For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servant, the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when he had, when they spake unto him. And his brother also went and fell before him, before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, for, for I, for am I in the place of God? He's asking this question. And then verse 20. I have, the, I have this verse underlined in my Bible. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. I like to camp on that, on that phrase just a little bit. You know, is it like where God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to save much people? I tried to wrap my hand around, my mind around that. You know, God is asking. He's in heaven. I'm just kind of putting this all together here quickly. God is asking in heaven, who will go? I'll send my son. He will die. His son says, here am I. I will go. And you will go. You will have tribulation. You will have trial. They will, they will, they will um, drive a crown of thorns on your head. They will, they will pierce your side. They will do all these things against you. But you are going to go because you will save much people. And you know, we're a saved people. And if you're not saved here this morning, I would highly recommend you would get saved, you would get born again before you would leave this building. It is very important. And I'll tell you why. Just uh, Friday, there's a man that came into the work in the shop there, and he just, oh, I just felt so sorry for him. My employer, he asked me, he says, well, he said, did you get, get, it, get it all figured out? He says, no, I just listened to his 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 story. I just felt so sorry for him. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't identify with him. And he and he was telling me how this this man ran off with his wife and so forth and so on. And and this man he was once a Christian man. I assume I guess he had a he had a conversion experience. He was in a church, and um, I I knew this man. But you know what? The, this man he died of a heart attack. In his sin, I said, well, very obviously, did he ever get born again? He said, not that I ever know. And the first question that came to my mind, eternity where? Eternity where? Is it worth it? If I would ask that man today, if I could have a way to speak to him, and I would say, is it worth, was it worth it for the, for the sin for a season? Would it be worth it? And I'm sure his voice would come back. It is not worth it. Live for God for everything you have. I was going to talk about Moses and the children of Israel, but it's, there is not enough time. Twelve o'clock is here already. I'm just going to quickly read over these notes <clears throat> that I penciled here in the wee hours of this morning. Peace is not a subtraction to a problems from life. It is an addition of power to meet these problems. Get that. Peace is not the subtraction of problems from life. It is, a, is the addition of power to meet those problems. You get that? Did you get that? Amen. God speaks to all of us. And he says this. I found three places and there's probably more. There's three places that just shall live by faith. Write these references down. Romans 117. We don't have time to read them, but everyone says that just shall live by faith. Romans 117. Got that? Galatians 311 and Hebrews 1038. It says the just shall live by faith. We as Christians, we need to rather than to fold up like Joseph of old, 
You know, he, he would have been so much to crawl up in his shell and fold up. And this quote is not originally with me. I would like to take this quote that was original with me, but I'm not this brainy. <clears throat> we need to, rather than fold up and to give up, like many Christians, when they meet trials and tribulations in their life, we need to, we can look up and stand up. Okay? You got that? Rather than to fold up and to give up, we need to, we can look up and stand up. Faith does not live by explanation, but by promises. Okay? You got that? I will say it again. Faith does not live by explanation, but by promises. God is not going to explain everything to us. Furthermore, we couldn't understand it all anyway. You know what? You get you get you get you get on the you get on the you get on the wagon with me. If God would explain every little detail to Joseph when he was this young boy, do you think he would have been? I get it, God. He was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. But you know what? We need to be like Joseph old. God is not going to explain. I worry. And look up John sixteen twelve. Read Isaiah fifty five eight to nine. Romans eleven thirty three and thirty four. God is not going to limit Himself to what we can understand. You know, God's way bigger. He's not going to limit Himself to what I, my little, wee little brain can understand. He's not going to limit Himself to that. Faith does not live by appearance, but by providence. We have a generation today that is moved by subjective personal experience and emotional encounters. And you know what? How many times you hear that? You know, we like, well, I had this big emotional experience. You know what? I really don't care. You know, what does the Bible say? What does God want you to do? I don't care what kind of experience you have. But you know what? Is your lifestyle, is your, the way you're walking, is it the way of holiness? Is it the way of righteousness that God is taking you? Is it, does your life, does your lifestyle, your passion, does it line up with the Word of God? Let me finish. I didn't finish this sentence. It says, um, to the generation today that is moved by subjective personal experience and emotional encounters rather than a sure Word of God. We need to have a sure Word of for God to, in this day and age that we live in. It is a faith that looks beyond the physical to the spiritual. Does your faith look beyond the physical? Is it the faith that looks beyond the present to the future? Do you have that kind of faith? Is it the faith that looks beyond the temporary to the eternal? Many times, if human nature, it wants to look on a temporary. You know, we need to look at life through the lenses of eternity. Faith cannot fail. Sin cannot win. And you will see that over and over. You know, governments have tried to change people. But you know what? When you read stories of persecuted Christians and they try in, the, in these communist um, camps and these concentration camps, when they were just persecuted almost more than I can comprehend and their deep-rooted faith in God Almighty and the things that God said, they would rather die than to, than to lose their faith. The governments, the, the, there is nothing more powerful than a man, and I even have that written down. The most powerful force on earth is faith in the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is the only thing that can change, that can change lives. You know, governments try to change them. They try to, put, they try to make all these programs and try to, 
you know, once, once a person gets his, changes his life and moves toward God and God moves in, you know, all these problems that they face are gone. They might still have their struggles, but it is God who, who, who changes them from the inside out. Okay, quickly here. Faith does not live by circumstance, but by praise. Taken out of Acts 16.25. Let's turn to that. I want to read that one. Acts 16, and that's probably our next, and we'll probably touch on this next Sunday. Chapter 16, Acts, in verse 25. And here is Paul and Silas. They were being persecuted, so to speak. And the multi, in verse 22, it says, The multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them and cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. And who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And then verse 25 says like this, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors opened, and everyone's bands were loosened. And the prisoner and the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors wide open, and drew his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners would have fled. But Paul, in verse 28, cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And when he called for a light and sprang in, came trembling and fell before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, what would happen? What would happen? Now, here we go again. What would happen if they would have this kind of experience down in Haiti? And all of a sudden, do you think the news media and the big dog news, earth-breaking news, the captors all got saved. Do you think that's going to happen? I doubt it. They'll probably have some other big news that the hostages got free. Three points. Let us rejoice in God's goodness. Let's rely on God's grace. And let's learn to give thanks and praise in dark times. You know, life isn't always going to be peaches and ice cream. We live in dark times. And how much important, it's very important. And you know, who am I to say all this? But, you know, if there's, you know, I feel like I have the most to learn is to give praise in dark times. You know, it's amazing how the smallest thing can just like push us over the edge. Now, I'm going to share something with you this morning. Now, this is embarrassing, okay? For me. I'm the bad guy. Grab your seatbelt. This just happened this morning. I mean, it just rocked my wagon. I was sitting in my vehicle waiting to go to go to church. I was like, come on, let's go. I was blowing on the horn. Let's like, let's go. We're going to be late. And so I know some of you are saying like, man, you think you after 50 years old, you grow up. But that's not the case in this household. That's not who I am. Let's go. I was blowing the horn. I was waiting for the last person. It's like, what is taking them so long? My wife... My wife sees an envelope laying. Oh yes, that goes to goes to somebody at work. She and I was just ready to bell her. Watch the door. And the Yukon door was open. She jerked open my pickup door and put a big ding in. Oh, 
It just about upset the fruit wagon over a little ding you can hardly see. But you see what I'm saying? How fragile. And I'm not experiencing nothing like these hostages or this or Joseph or Moses or Paul and Silas. And the list could go on. Just a little ding in my pickup door is enough to have the wheels fall off my train. It's a big deal. And I was sitting here at church and like, that is so stupid. Over a ding at a pickup door. You see what I'm saying? How fragile, how misguided. Our passions are all wrong. And it's easy for some of you to think, well, he's just very particular. Well, yeah, I am. But maybe God's trying to race that out of him. Does it really matter? In the light of eternity. No, it don't. I'm just saying, i got a long ways to go. I'm preaching to myself here this morning. As I, as I got out of bed at 1.30 this morning, and I read this story about Joseph and all the things that he happened to him, and then this happens to me. It is nothing in light of eternity where Joseph, he was sent on ahead that he did not understand. He did not know why. And he didn't, and never do we act, never do we read where it says, why God, why must this happen to me? I lived in a sheltered home. I had a robe of many colors. I lived on the high hog. I was well favored by my brothers. All these things. Why? But you never read that. You never read that. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. And I just pray, Lord, that somehow we could wrap our minds around what you're doing in our lives. And we don't ask why, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that somehow that we could get an eternal perspective and that you have us living today, November 28, 2021, for a purpose and a plan that I don't totally understand. And there's a reason why you have us living and we're all sitting here today and not 100 years ago, not 50 years ago, but today. And Lord, we just pray you would come and just minister to us today. And there's so much more that could be said, but Lord, show us how to give thanks in the dark days, in the dark times that come our way. And Lord, we confess that I don't have it all together and how we lay, allow little things in our lives to destroy our peace, our joy. And yet, Lord, you want to refine us. You want to take us to our higher, deeper plane with you. You want to take us out into the river where we can't touch the bottom, where we don't feel secure in our own mind and our own abilities. But God, you want to take us out there where we have nothing to rely on but you. Lord, it is so scary. And yet, Lord, our hand is in yours. And Lord, I just pray, when we cannot feel the bottom, when we cannot swim, where we cannot trust our own selves, Lord, that you would be our anchor. You would be our sure foundation. And Lord, we would take your word and we would devour it. And we would have a passion. 
for the things of God. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. And when life here is over, you'll take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.